Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We've just come out of the festival part of the church year. We've celebrated Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, Trinity Sunday last week. It's kind of a liturgical high, so to speak, with all these holy days. And then this first Sunday after Trinity comes, and it hits you. And it hits you where it hurts. It brings you down into the depths. The gospel reading shows you death. But no, it doesn't just stop there. Jesus shows you that beyond death, there is either suffering beyond compare, or there's eternal joy and comfort. And you see this rich man and Lazarus, and then this is where it hits you too. You see these two ends of the spectrum, and you think, I'm going to die. And so our Lord says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And so from the get-go, we see that life exists after death. So when a person dies, he doesn't just cease to become one with the universe. He continues on. His soul departs his body, and then on the last day, his soul is reunited with his resurrected body. And so life continues on no matter who you are. It happens for everyone. And so this reading then shows us something else that flies in the face of modern-day spirituality. Heaven and hell, they're real. And not only that, but there are real people there. All roads don't lead to heaven. It actually does matter what you believe. God doesn't just hate the sin but love the sinner. Otherwise, there would just be random sins in hell and not real people. No, hell is real. And there are people there spiritually, and after the resurrection of the dead, their bodies will be there as well. And we see one of these people in the reading. Here is the rich man. Now, he lived life to the fullest, and no doubt, he fit in well with the world around him. He didn't lack anything. Instead, he had made a name for himself for all to know his success, to see what he had done. So is that what condemns him? Does being rich, being successful, and eating a lot of food mean that you are destined to hell? No, it doesn't. Jesus reveals further what this man's condition was. We know he passed over Lazarus, which indicates a lack of love for his neighbor, placed at his doorstep. But even further than that, these things are fruits of unbelief. Here again, what we heard St. John tell us in the epistle reading. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so Jesus goes on, he says, And the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. 
But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And beside all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Now with that image in mind and laid before you, where does that leave you? Well, you know your own heart. God shows that you have sinned against him in many ways. He knows that you have failed to love your neighbor. So when you look at yourself and you're honest, what do you see? What do you have? Well, even if you may have many nice things surrounding you, the answer to that is nothing. And so you're convicted in all of this and left without excuse. In your sin, you are the rich man, and his eternity is what you deserve. Yet the Lord in his great mercy has redeemed your life from the pit. By the blood of Christ, you have a place at the side of Abraham. And so when God's law accuses you and shows you that you have fallen short of his glory, when it is revealed who you really are and what you desire deep down in your heart, repent. Turn from your sin, knowing that it leads you, leaves you outside of God's kingdom. So too, when God's law does show you your new life in Christ, what it will look like, give your amen and desire what he commands. So where does that leave you? Well, the only hope you have facing death is found in the one who has conquered death by his own death. That means life is found outside of yourself and it's found in another. You see, Jesus is the faithful one. And he is the only way to the joys of paradise. So your sin, it is forgiven. It's been placed on Jesus who was crucified for you. He's paid the price that you owe and by his wounds are, you are healed. God's love for you in Christ then is the only way that you have a place in the kingdom of God. The only way you have the joys of paradise. His death is your life. His resurrection is the assurance of your place before the Father and your resurrection from the grave. Martin Luther was right. We're all beggars before God. And God is the gracious one who gives you from his loving hands. We have absolutely nothing to offer to God. The Lord is the one who has accomplished your salvation by his grace, and he also delivers it to you by his grace. And how the Lord does this is by the means of the scriptures alone, which also includes the sacraments. So even as we have nothing on our own, any attempt of trying to find Jesus and his salvation apart from his means, that too is futile. The word is the means by which God declares you righteous in his sight on account of Christ. And it's always been this way. It's nothing new. We heard in the Old Testament reading about Abraham hearing the promises of God. And did you catch how that reading ended? And he believed, Abraham believed, the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. This verse is quoted three times in the New Testament, and it is the difference between eternal life and misery or eternal life in paradise. God spoke to Abraham on more than one occasion that his sin is forgiven, that he would enter into the promised land promised to him by the Lord, that one of his own offspring would be the anointed one, the Savior, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And through this word of God, God worked faith. And Abraham trusted those promises, and he believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. 
And so it's no different for you. God's word for you, what it is, and what it means to believe and live the Christian faith. And so as we gather on this day, as we hear that word, we're not just thinking nice thoughts. We're not just having a positive outlook. No, you see, you believe in someone real, and there is a real tangible thing that you cling to. Jesus teaches this. He told, as Abraham said, when the man wanted, the rich man wanted uh, Abraham to go to his five brothers, he said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And Jesus said in another place, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so God's word, that same word that was spoken to Abraham, that same word that was spoken to to uh, Lazarus is the same word that gives you eternal life. And so you hear it faithfully. You heed what it says in your God-given faith in Christ. And that faith in Christ and his promises, that's your righteousness before God. So seeing God's word as this means by which you have Jesus and his benefits, it instills a love and a concern for this word and the life by which we live. And the second hands of that hymn we sang Lord, grant that I, in every place, may glorify thy lavish grace and help and serve my neighbor. Let no false doctrine me beguile. Let Satan not my soul defile. Give strength and patience unto me to bear my cross and follow thee. Lord Jesus Christ, my God and Lord, my God and Lord, and death thy comfort still afford. Which, by the way, if you haven't memorized that hymn, go home today and do it. It's wonderful. My daughters have it memorized. I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. The one-year-old, I think she acts like she's singing it, so I'd like to think she has it memorized too. But it's wonderful. But this is the prayer of God's people. It's the prayer of the church that we may be faithful to his word, that we not be led astray by those who seek to promote a false word, and that we serve our neighbor. And that's why your pastor cares so much about doctrine. Because people are saved by what we preach. False doctrine is the greatest sin against the second commandment we confess in the large catechism. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Likewise, the greatest way the church loves our neighbor, the way that we truly are the city set on the hill, the way that we as the people of God are the salt of the earth, is when we are first faithful to God's word as we confess it boldly in all places and at all times. And then these acts of mercy, such as feeding those in need, lending a helping hand, however it's needed, they will come as these faithful fruits. A good tree produces good fruit, and, but the tree must be good from the start. God's word does things in our life, and it produces things in our lives, even life everlasting. So don't fall into the temptation that is so easy to entertain in your life and the life of the church. Don't doubt what the Lord says. Don't think that it isn't enough. The rich man wanted something else other than the word to be sent to his brothers, the Moses and the prophets. That's Luke's shorthand for the scriptures. But God's word was sufficient. Our wants don't define the truth. God's word is the truth, just as Jesus himself is the truth. Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Go back to Abraham again. What was his righteousness before God? Was it faith in something more? The word of God in something more? It was his faith in the word spoken to him by the Father. That was his righteousness.
And so on this day, the Lord admonishes you to pay attention. See this example of the rich man and don't follow where he goes, because that leads to death. And in the humility of faith, heed the warnings of God, and in repentance, throw aside every sin which separates you from God. Look outside of yourselves and fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Cast aside every thought, every notion, every idea that thinks you need something more than the word of God to deliver to you Christ and his benefits. We call that but theology. But this, but that. We're not very creative as pastors. This is what we do. But don't burden yourself thinking that you can save yourself and others through the efforts of men. You can't do it. Because the burden is lifted off of your shoulders. And where's it been placed? It's been placed on Christ. And he has saved you through his blood, even as he now freely preaches to you and delivers to you, to you your salvation. Hear the words of your pastor say, I forgive you all of your sins. And know that this is most certainly true. Eat and drink his body and blood given and shed for you for that same forgiveness. Your salvation has been accomplished. It's been won. Your God has done it. Christ is yours. And clinging to Jesus and faith through his word, you stand not condemned before the Father. But God looks at you, sees his son, and he says, you are righteous. And so this gives new meaning as you go through this world. The confession of your faith is what you just sang. Lord, thee I love with all my heart. I pray thee ne'er from me depart. Your Lord Jesus Christ, he is your hope. He is your righteousness. He is your salvation. He is your eternal life. And in faith, you love him with all your heart. You love him who came down from his throne to fulfill God's law perfectly and suffer God's wrath in your place. And so the liturgical high may be gone, so to speak. And that reading may hit you square between the eyes then in terms of death. And you still know that you face death. But you see, you don't face it as one who is uncertain. You don't face it as one who fears. But in all of these things, you are more than conquerors in Christ. So even as you face your own death, whenever that may be, unless the Lord returns first, you face it with Christ before your eyes. The confidence to you have to face death is to mock it and to pray that at the last for the Lord's angels to come and bear you home. For the Lord will keep you safe, and he will raise you on the last day. And your own two eyes, like the prophet Job, you will see the Lord face to face with Lazarus and with all the saints, and you will praise him in body and soul without end. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.